Hey, I'm Oliver, the founder of TableYeti.com. If you work in hospitality, you need to know about our amazing payment terminals that can help your staff earn up to four times more tips in a shift. Used by some of your favorite hospitality brands and unlike old, clunky payment PDQs, our devices have a beautiful user interface that tempts guests to tip your hardworking teams more. Incredibly helpful in the current environment. Not only do they make tipping easier, the terminals integrate to your favorite EPOS and can even separate the tips at the point of payment into a different bank account or a tip management platform like TipJar. Tips are just the tip of the iceberg. All devices are 4G and Wi-Fi enabled and can be offered at incredible processing rates. Right, here's your call to action. Visit tableyeti.com, press get quote, mention this podcast to a member of the team to get 33% off your first year's rentals. Happy tipping. When Metallica, the seminal American heavy metal band, started out in the early 1980s, many of their key influences hailed from the UK. Outfits such as Iron Maiden, Diamond Head, and Black Sabbath would make an indelible mark on Metallica's sound. These UK bands, in some shape or form, could be considered part of the new wave of British heavy metal, something of an underground phenomenon that grew in parallel to the punk scene of the time. While American groups such as Metallica would draw a great deal of inspiration from these bands, they would go on to put their own mark on the music they put out, and in many cases turn it into something completely different altogether to great world-beating success. In doing so, bands such as Metallica and their contemporaries in Slayer, Anthrax and Megadeth have themselves gone on to influence countless generations at home in the UK and also across the globe. In the years that followed the formation of San Francisco's finest, other members of the US population would be taking a different kind of inspiration from the UK this time in the form of its ales that, to this day, remain much loved across the Atlantic. I had visited many breweries in small US towns, and I'll be honest, they didn't really make as much sense to me as to what I had in mind. John Hall, the founder of Goose Island, told us back in 2016. Just look at Fuller's. It's a big brewery making great beers based in a big city. It just resonated with me. The dream for me was to be a Fuller's, to represent Chicago like Fuller's did in London. English Cask was also an early influence on the team at Sierra Nevada during their home brewing days, while Cigar City brewmaster Wayne Wombles is also a member of that particular fan club. Odell Brewing co-founders Doug and Wynne fell in love with UK ales during their honeymoon in 1985, and upon moving to the UK in 1983, Brooklyn Brewery's brewmaster Garrett Oliver would have his first experiences of cask, a discovery that would alter his professional trajectory from there on in. In the decades that have passed since these epiphanies, pioneering beers such as Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Brooklyn Lager, Jaya Life from Cigar City and Goose Island IPA represent just a handful of releases from these breweries alone that have single-handedly lit a fire in beer lovers across the land that have gone on to think, I love these flavours so much. I want to try and create my own. And much like Metallica did 
with their appreciation of early British metal, the beers that have stemmed from brewers' love of these groundbreaking US brews, the creations that have followed have taken on a whole new life of their own. But in recent years, it felt that if you wanted to enjoy great US beer in the UK, you had options, but variety could be hard to come by, especially when it came to variety of the fresh kind. But now, choice has vastly improved, both in the trade and the consumer side of the market. Hello and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. And I'm Ross McPherson. Earlier this week, figures from across the brewing industry descended upon Minneapolis for the latest iteration of the Craft Brewers Conference and the 2022 World Beer Cup Awards. And closer to home, breweries in the UK and across Europe are making absolutely incredible beer. That comes as no surprise. The consumer has simply never had it better when it comes to the sheer variety of styles available to them. And access to excellent US beer, both in the trade and direct-to-consumer, is improving all the time too. In recent years, a number of beer fans have turned their hands to bringing over fresh beer from breweries that otherwise might not have graced these shores. And one such individual is Andrew McPhillips, the founder of Beers of America. In this episode, he tells us about why he started the business, the styles that most resonate with customers, and why US beers continue to remain popular with fans in the UK and further afield. And Andrew starts at the beginning with his early steps in the world of beer, and how he got started in the business of importing excellent beers with freshness as a priority. So I mean, my, my, my own journey into, into craft beer probably began like most people and was dragged out by some friends to it have been a local brewdog bar in Leeds and had my first pint of punk IPA. Which probably the first time I had it wasn't keen. I'd say at that point I was a bit of a more, more of a lager drinker. Um, wasn't even into anything like what you'd call real ale and, and more traditional styles. It was very much a lager drinker and then over time kept dipping my toe in because that's what my friends were doing. And yeah, started to develop that love and then the, the desire to find out what other styles were out there. Um, always kind of sticking in that kind of pale ale IPA range. That was as adventurous as I was getting then, occasional stout. And yeah, that that, that continued for, for quite a few years. I've never been employed in, in beer. You know, my, my background is very much doing um, analytical jobs. So I'm usually more at home on a spreadsheet uh, rather than getting my hands dirty in either brewing beer or selling beer. And then, yeah, I think it's it develops over a few years. I do travel fairly regularly to the US um, on family holidays. Part of that involved probably, I think it will have been maybe four years ago now, going to California. We did a bit of a road trip down uh, down the Californian coast, which gives you the opportunity to, to try lots of places. If I'd have been a bit more knowledgeable, there's places that I missed then that I would go to now. But, you know, going to Stone Brewing World and, and seeing A, the scale of the thing over there, B, how they do it. Um, and as you say, the, the wide range of styles, I think that opened me up to wanting to try more beer from the US. 
because I'd tr- I had at that point tried a lot from the UK, but I wanted to see what, what else was out there. And I think that probably um, that carried on until we hit lockdown. And I started to, I never really used to be on Instagram. Um, and then I started to see lots of people posting about beers that came over from the US. And the prices of, of some of the stuff was, it was beyond what I'd pay personally. You know, kind of when you're talking 17, 18, 19, 20 quid for, for a can or a bottle of beer. At that point, I couldn't justify spending that. And I just started to investigate how easy it was to get beer from the US over here and at what price you could do it if you did it on scale. Because I appreciate if you're only bringing over a small quantity, the shipping cost is quite a lot, which is why you get up to those, you know, those high prices per can. So I just started to investigate, you know, how easy would it be to bring, say, a pallet full, um, so you're talking 70 cases of 24 cans over, you know, what what would that cost? You know, where would that leave it if, if I did start a business, you know, where would that leave it in terms of pricing? You know, without getting into the details of it, there's, there's two main options for how you bring it over. One is by sea in a refrigerated container. Um, the other one, which is what we do at the minute, is to bring it over by air. Now, obviously, when you bring it over by air, it's a, it's a lot, lot quicker. Um, so, for example, my most recent shipment, not the one that's currently in progress, the one before, it was picked up in New York in the Monday and on the Monday and delivered to me in Leeds on the Thursday. So you can see how quick that is versus there's been quite a few problems with sea freight at the minute and it's taking it can take three months um for a container to leave the us get to the uk and reach you know kind of the distributor and then on to retailers so there's a there is there's a cost trade-off versus the freshness and at the minute i'm still focusing on doing the air freighting um because it's more reliable um, and to be blunt, you know, this is a business that I've started by myself. If you want to ship a sea con- you know, a container over by sea, you really need to be putting kind of 10 pallets of beer in it. So, you know, 700 cases of beer. <laughs> I simply can't afford to do that. When I, when I do it by air, I can just do one at a time. So that's kind of where it is. It's been low volume up to now, but shipping it by, by air to try and get it over as, as fresh as possible. And what I'm trying to balance with the business is the trade-off for the, the end consumer you know, the, it'll be fresher if we ship it by air, but it will be more expensive. And, and where do people lie on that freshness versus price curve? Because there's some people that will pay a lot to get it, you know, three weeks after it's been canned. Whereas there's others that would prefer to save, you know, it might be three pound a can that you could save if you get it when it's nine weeks old, 10 weeks old. So that's kind of where the business is. And for the last year while we've been operating, um, it's just kind of been testing various things out to see what works, what sells well. And, and yeah, you'll see where we can grow from there. And keeping the spotlight on the US, figures recently released by the Brewers Association reveal that in 2021, small and independent brewers collectively produced 24.8 million barrels of beer and realised 8% growth, increasing Kraft's overall beer market share by volume to 13.1%, up from 12.2% the year previous. The overall beer market grew 1% by volume in 2021. Retail dollar value was estimated at $26.9 billion, representing 26.8% market share and 21% growth over 2020. This growth is stronger than volume, primarily due to the channel shift back to on-premise, which has a higher average retail value. Craft Brewers provided more than 172,000 643 direct jobs, a 25% increase from 2020. 
The number of operating craft breweries continued to climb in 2021, reaching an all-time high of 9,118, including 1,886 microbreweries, 3,307 brew pubs, 3,702 taproom breweries, and 223 regional craft breweries. The types of businesses that Andrew is helping to bring to the UK. So, I mean, at the minute, um, 99% of the beer that I bring in comes via uh, a distributor that I use on the East Coast. Obviously, I'm not going to give my name away. I don't want to give away my, uh, <laughs> my secrets. Um, but yeah, it, it comes through distribution at the minute. Um, now, obviously, going through distribution, that builds in a bit more of a delay between the stuff being canned because it will go, you know, in the US, it will go from the brewery to the distributor to then me picking it up and getting it here. So it kind of, that speed of the air freight is lost a little bit. Um, but it means that up until now, I've been able to put, like, say, if I bring a, a pallet of 70 cases of beer over, I can really mix and match which breweries and beers are on there rather than it all needing to be from one brewery, which it would be if you were, if you were working direct while which is, is ideal while we're testing the market. And to be honest, the dis- distributor that I work with, they understand that I only really want to be getting stuff that comes in that is as fresh as possible. So we look to see what's been listed most recently and try and build it up and, and get that fresher stuff over here. You know, if, if it's already five weeks old by the time it gets to the distributor, I, I, I don't really want to touch it. What I have done is, there's been some breweries that I've approached directly to work with um, who have either said that, they just don't have the scope to be able to do it in terms of capacity. Um, you know, they're kind of maxed out on, on supplying the local market, which obviously for a US brewery, your local market is quite a bit bigger than, than it is for a UK brewery, just given the, the scale of the place. And I think some others are just a bit apprehensive. So I know there's a couple of breweries that have been burned by previous attempts to export through nobody's fault, beer getting stuck and arriving too old or problems with payments and all this kind of stuff. So some are a bit reluctant. Others are more open to it. So the where the business is looking to expand now is we've 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 literally just been selling online direct to consumers and that's been the model since since we started. Um to work directly with the breweries, um the amount that one needs to buy is probably more than I can sell direct to my current customer base um it's growing but it's probably still not enough to support you know one two pallets of beer coming just from a single brewery so we're looking at now starting to do a bit of distribution in the uk so we've just had our first agreement with the us brewery um which i haven't announced yet but the the brewery that we're going to be working with is mortalis and they're keen they are keen to expand into the uk and for anybody that doesn't know mortalis uh kind of the masters of these heavily fruited smoothie sours. So, I mean, really thick beers. It was a new style to me when I first tried it, probably just over a year ago. And coming into summer is kind of an ideal time to be to be looking to ship quite a few of these over. Now, they have, they have been in the UK before. This time, when I'll be working with them, we'll be air freighting the stuff over. Um, so, again, it's going to be more reliable for people running bottle shops and, and, and bars to know when the beer is going to be arriving, how old it's going to be when it gets here. Um, it might be a little bit more expensive, given that it's been air-freighted. But again, it's that trade-off for getting, for getting the freshness. So, I mean, that came purely from uh, emailing uh, Paul at Mortalis, building a bit of a relationship with over email and Zoom. Um, and similar with other breweries, you know, it, it, it can be as simple as just dropping them a, a DM on Instagram and seeing where that goes. So there's a couple of others that are in the pipeline that, 
hopefully we'll be announcing soon. But yeah, Mortalis are the first one that we'll be doing distribution for them and bringing over a, a significant amount of beer, which will probably be landing here first week of July, I'll do more. And offering a host of different beers in a myriad of different styles means Andrew attracts a range of different customers too. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it, it's difficult. I think there are, um, so I have some customers that are just looking for specific breweries. Um, so we bring in uh, beer from 450 North, who again are kind of these very heavily fruited um, sour style beers uh, that have quite a, a cult following on Instagram and, and those kind of places. And I think we're the first people to bring that into the UK in bulk. So there are some people, so I've just packed an order up um, this morning, which is somebody literally just ordering 12 beers from 450 North. I'd say the best sellers that we get, uh, Mortalis does sell exceptionally well on those smoothie sour type beers. The others that will sell the best, it's, it, it's stuff from the big names, um, and it's generally the hazy dippers and tippers that go quickly. Um, so, you know, stuff that you get from other half, Finback, are probably the ones that sell the best. And that's because I know they come over um, by other methods, but some, quite often we can get them a little bit fresher. So I think they're probably the biggest source. And then any any really crazy kind of imperial stouts that we get. Um, so we were lucky just before Christmas that we got um, small volumes, but through the d- distributor that we use, we managed to get small volumes of the uh, Goose Island Bourbon County Stout. Um, we got one of the variants of that as well. We also had some Mortalis stouts, and we also had some of the uh, other half stouts, including some of the Pastry Town ones. So there's kind of there are, there's little niches of people that are looking for specific things, but it, it, it generally is either the, the kind of the hazy double IPAs or it's those smoothie style sours, which I think there are more breweries in the UK trying to do that smoothie style sour, and I think some are starting to get there. But for me, the, the stuff that comes out of, of, of Mortalis is kind of the kind of the pinnacle of that style at the minute so i think there's quite a lot of people that do like to do like to buy that when they get that in two beers that have recently made waves with consumers are broken skull american lager and broken skull ipa from el segundo brewing in los angeles beers made in collaboration with legendary wrestler stone cold steve austin beers that also happen to fall into andrew's hands by chance I didn't really know that much about it. I haven't watched wrestling for a, for a long time. Didn't realise this was a thing. So it was kind of a, well, I'll just throw one or two cases on and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if it sells, which it, it did. So I then decided to do a pre-sale for it in January because I said, you know, we can get, you know, we can get more of it if you want. So I did that and I think might have sold maybe 20 cases of it. And I've got some that's just on its way now. In fact, it should have landed at Heathrow this morning that I've done on a pre-sale. Um, and it is a palette made up purely of the Broken Skull Lager and IPA, which I've, uh, which I've had on uh, pre-sale for people ready so that literally as soon as it gets here, I can start shipping it out the door. That's 35 cases of each of those beers. The lager's gone. Um, that sold out pretty quickly. Um, and the IPA is heading that way and won't be much longer for that sold out. So, I mean, I never realised that demand was there for that beer. Um, and it was purely by chance that I, that I kind of landed on that. And it just shows you that 
there's so many things that people are looking for that you don't even realise. And I was just lucky to land on that. And, you know, the, the sales have been far better than could have ever imagined. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's been a strange one. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm pleased we managed to get it because there's so many people that are so happy that, you know, they've been waiting for it for ages. The husband's been waiting for it for ages and they've managed to get it for a present. It's been, it's been really good, actually. It's been crazy with a number of, number of orders, but it's been, it's been really good to do. It's the demand for beers like these that, in turn, mean there's a demand for a business like Andrew's. Yeah, and I, I think it's so. I think there's a couple of things that drive people to to buy them. To be honest, so I think there's so if you take the people like other half, the big names, they've led the market for, or they have led the market for a long time. Now, arguably, you'd say some of the UK brewers are up to that standard now, and you know I'm I'm not going to agree or disagree. I think everybody likes their own their own style a bit. So I think sometimes it's good to just some people might like to just check in and see if anything else has changed. I mean if you look at the labelling on some of the beers, you know, we went from we had double dry hop, triple dry hops, we had high density hop charge, we had one that was a double high density hop charge. I think there's people that are just intrigued to see what the next um innovation could be. Uh, you know, and does it make a better beer? So when we had the I think it was a double high density hop charge we had from other half. You know, that kind of sold out instantly um, because it's, you know, how new the technology is. I'm not technical enough, but it was a new term put on a beer so people wanted to try it. So I think there's a bit of, you know, where do we stack up against them? I think some people do still think that the US breweries are, are a little bit um, ahead of the UK. Um, again, I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but certain breweries kind of have that almost halo effect that they're at the, the peak of quality. And then I think there is, there are some people that just like to be able to tick off a new brewery, you know, so quite often they'll bring in a, a random one that some people might not have heard of. And it's, you know, dare, dare I say it's good to tick it off on the untapped list that you've tried a different brewery and you can get closer to another badge on there or, or whatever it could be. So there's lots of things that drive people um, to try these. And it's the same with the, when, when you talk about the, the fruit and sours, I think some of the flavour combinations that you see from, from the American breweries are kind of, outrageous and you know even though we've got some brewers over here doing really good fruited sours i don't think they've got to do the level of all those other things that they you know that you can throw into it whether it's marshmallow cookies whether it's various nuts fruit um chocolate whatever it could be there's, there's some very interesting ideas and concepts for, for flavor profiles especially in that style of beer which makes it fun and i think people do enjoy that exploration now don't get me wrong they're not all an instant hit some of the flavor combinations might not be everybody's cup of tea um but i think there is it's just in intriguing but you know I, I i accept that you know these beers if you look at them on the shelf next to a uk beer are expensive and that's that's part of the reason for looking at that distribution model because it's great that people want to come to us you know and buy it might be six seven cans at 10 pound each but other people might only want to try one or two before they know whether they like the style and if they can go and do it in a little bo- local bo- bottle shop at the same time, picking up some, you know, some less expensive local stuff. I think that's only going to be a good thing. And, you know, that's why we, I did introduce quite a limited UK range on, on my site, just to give people that it's not all about buying £10 plus cans of beer. You know, it, it might be that you buy one or two and then you buy some of the, the UK stuff to either to compare it against or just so that you can dip your toe without committing to, you know, buying a lot of expensive beer that it turns out you're not that keen on. And crunching the numbers in his day job, often over countless spreadsheets, has helped Andrew get his head around some of the trickier aspects of importing beer to the UK. 
It has a little bit because obviously with every order I bring in, I need to figure out. Well, I need to figure out what it's going to what it's going to cost me, and then what that means it can it can be sold for. Because you know, to be honest, the margins that I apply on this are quite small, despite the price that you see on the beer. Um, you know, I, I I'm not making five pound a can on it. Let's let, let's put it that way. So it, it's about trying to strike that balance of keeping the cost as low as possible without running you know at a, at a huge loss. So I think having a spreadsheet set up where um, because obviously there's the cost of buying the beer, which is in dollars, which at the minute isn't great, cost the pounds down. So you've got to try and figure that out. There's the there's the cost of the shipping it here. Then I've got to cal- you've got to calculate the duty and pay the duty on the VAT on it when it arrives. And the way when I first started, the way that I um, I, I set my spreadsheet up, I, I, I had it all set up with the various beers that were coming in and the columns at the end. And I had one for the duty. Um, now fortunately, my shipping company. I send them a list of what's coming in and they'll calculate and submit the duty return and I pay them. But just as a test, I'd done it myself to see how close um, I got to their calculation to make sure I was doing everything correctly. And I think there was a difference of about 20 pence. Um, so fortunately, my, my kind of using numbers and spreadsheets in the past has appeared to be working and has just helped because, as you say, there are so many moving parts to, to the final cost when it gets here um, that it is, it, it's not the easiest thing. And like I say, you know, I kind of, I run this on my own with occasional help from, from family and friends when it gets really busy. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, it's enabled me to do that. And like I say, the shipping company that I use are great because they, they also do the calculations and we make sure that we match up. And going forward with shipments into 2022 and beyond, Andrew says it's probably a safe bet to expect an increasing number of takes on IPAs, double IPAs and sours. Lots of sours. From what I'm seeing at the minute, it's mainly more of the same. There has been a, a a movement in the states. There's a lot more interest in lagers over there at the minute. I'm I'm kind of picking up on which, you know, when my distributors mentioned, do you want to bring any of these lagers? And I'm kind of like, mm, no, because they're not much cheaper than some of the IPAs and double IPAs. And to be honest, over here we've got access to some pretty good lagers coming in, coming out of Europe. So it's that's that's quite a hard sell. That's the direction that's in the US going in. You're absolutely right on the seltzers point. We've had a few of those over. So we've had the, kind of had some of the, the fruited seltzers and some of the, I guess they're almost like smoothie seltzers. Um, they sell well, but again, at the price we've been able to get them are quite expensive. And I think, you know, some people are a bit reluctant to go to that because, you know, if you want to get into, get into the argument, some of the heavily fruited sellers, some people claim aren't beer. Um, once you get to seltzers, then, you know, that's, Definitely not beer, depending on what your view is. So it's kind of trying to find the right the right market for those. I mean, I think some of the heavily fruited seltzers would sell really well, you know, at a lower price point in the supermarket if it was possible to to get it over, you know, that kind of supermarket level pricing. I think consumers here probably aren't prepared to pay the price that they're costing to get in. To be blunt, um, but on that, no, I think it's I think it is um, I think it is a bit more of the same. Uh, to be honest, I've not seen anything on the horizon that looks outrageous and unheard of, shall we say. So thanks again to Andrew for his time and make sure to check out Beers of America online at beersofamerica.co.uk. While it can prove to be hard work at times, that love of great beer means he's having fun along the way. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't because it's not it's not easy you know to try and you know like I say balancing the two jobs um but you know more than that the 
it's quite a physical thing. So they're ordering the beer's fine and they're, they're selling it online. But, you know, actually moving the stuff around, packing the boxes, you know, getting it all. It sounds simple, but it's very time consuming. So if I didn't enjoy it, you know, I certainly wouldn't still be doing it. Uh, but hopefully, you know, as we can expand that market and open it up to more people as we grow, it, it, it won't be so reliant on me to do all the work, you know, and there'll be, there'll be more time. Like I say, I want, to, I want to try and get more brewery partners on board with what we're doing, which for them, you know, is a, is a, is a quicker and more reliable shipping method than what's been used today. Um, and if we can just get it right on the pricing, I think it opens up super fresh US beer to more people over here. The Brewer's Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. And me, Ross McPherson. Sound engineering by the award-winning Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And a special thanks to Andrew McPhillips at Beers of America. <laughs>